when all the CEOs are getting up there and they're talking, you know, they want to paint as rosy picture as possible. But the reality is the Q3 is going to be a bit more difficult. I think we're in for, you know, a good another, you know, 12 months of recessionary, you know, slowdown type of markets. Good morning. It's Monday, September 25th, and this is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. Today, we're hitting Resi, chatting with Mauricio Umansky. He's the founder and CEO of The Agency. We touched on the brokerage's jump into the New York market and Mauricio's expectations for the residential sector and also the second season of his Netflix show, Buying Beverly Hills. Fans will know it follows the day-to-day of the agency. We also let Mauricio plug his new book, The Dealmaker, How to Succeed in Business and Life Through Dedication, Determination, and Disruption. That hit shelves in April. A lot of alliteration there. On the same note, The Real Deal held an event last week in L.A., and we had one panel with three of L.A.'s top residential brokers, Jade Mills at Caldwell Banker, Rainey Williams from Williams & Williams Estates Group, and Jason Oppenheim of both the Oppenheim Group and Netflix's Selling Sunset. A lot of reality TV hitting today. Mm So the brokers talked about aspirational pricing, how interest rates are impacting sales, and whether there's a bottom for the luxury market to hit. There was also a lot of Rainy and Jade poking fun at Jason. Um, I'll give you a little snippet of that. Our editor-in-chief, Stuart Elliott, was moderating the panel. He's the one asking questions. Well, you know, talking about earned media or free media like social media, Jason, obviously you have some of the hugest earned media in the world through your, your TV shows. Um, what have you ever calculated what the like ROI on that is, or done any like calculation on like I would what never that publicly say that because then Netflix would stop. We know you have. Just tell us. <laughs> um, no, actually, it's impossible because there's so many these so many like circuitous indirect ways of meeting people in real estate. Mm-hmm. It's just not a direct line, so it's it's just impossible. I will say, it certainly I think helped me to um, get amazing agents in San Diego, Newport Beach. I think. I probably wouldn't have expanded without the show. And other things. <laughs> Women. <laughs> girlfriends, dates. Girlfriends, beautiful girlfriends. The list goes a on. Of, a lot of beautiful girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to read People magazine. Don't applaud that, guys. We don't get into that. No, unless you want to share something. I definitely don't want to share that. <laughs> so how was the event overall? I'd say it was successful. Um... There were lots of laughs from the audience, especially in the residential panel, and lots of people wanting to take photos with the panelists. We also spoke to Leo Pistolnikov. He's a developer who's trying some really bold legal maneuvers to build housing in L.A. County. So that was really interesting. Is that in regards to like builder's remedy? Yes. Yeah. So he was actually the first person to ever file a builder's remedy application. And he has a few pending in the city. Um, So he's really, you know, he kind of spoke about how he was really alone in this. And Jerry Sullivan, our national managing editor, was like, does that scare you? Do you want developers to to hop in and he's like that would be nice (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah so that was that was a good one and then I moderated a panel about commercial real estate we got into the struggles with downtown LA's office market very fun upbeat (laughs) conversation there (laughs) and then there was a chat with Lou Horn who runs Southern California for CBRE about political trends and LA's transfer taxes 
Okay. I mean, I'm glad we can give listeners across all our markets a chance to listen to at least some of the event. That'll be nice. Yeah, definitely. Okay, enough about LA. Let's go to the news of last week. First, do you want to talk about the New York City mayor's new zoning plans? Yeah, so big news out of New York last week. Eric Adams' administration is proposing to get rid of parking mandates for all new residential construction in the city. The proposal is part of the city's City of Yes initiatives to try and boost housing production. I'm guessing parking mandates don't really apply in Manhattan. Yeah, so it's really only outside of Manhattan, so the other boroughs. In 2016, the city waived parking minimums for affordable and also senior housing if the developments were in certain districts that had good access to public transit. And advocates of the proposal argue that off-street parking can cost up to $150,000 to build. There's actually an excellent podcast about this, not to (laughs) detract attention from ours. I think Fresh Air did an episode on parking minimums and how they affect development. I will put that in the notes if that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that that's been a huge issue in L.A. Obviously, you know, everyone drives a car and everyone needs parking, but it also it is really expensive to build, especially if you then have to go underground. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this proposal will definitely, if it goes through, will provide some cost savings for developers. Okay, so on to distress, we should make this a permanent news segment at this point, and I guess we will. Um, A Chicago office tower traded at a massive discount last week. Yeah, Menashe Properties bought a 623,000 square foot tower in the loop for $45 million. And the property last traded in 2014 for $122 That is a really wild cut. Um, I assume there was debt on the building, too. Yeah. Morgan Stanley provided a roughly $88 million loan to refinance the building in 2019. So it sold for way less than the debt on the property. And more distress, but this time in New York, an office building next to Penn Station was sold through a foreclosure auction. It was picked up for almost 25% of what it cost to actually build the property. Wow, that is a really staggering figure. Yes. Uh, Marathon Asset Management bought the building for $16.5 million after initiating a foreclosure on it about two years ago. Marathon had alleged that the property's now former owner, Churchill Real Estate, defaulted on $50 million in debt. Churchill said more than $90 million was spent to buy the land and build the property. There's definitely more distress to talk about. I think we could take up the full 30 minutes if we just talked about distress, but we'll round out the news with one last story on the residential side. Douglas Elliman and some of the biggest residential brokers in New York City were sued last month, claiming they violated discrimination statutes in the Fair Housing Act. The plaintiff, Shaniqua Newkirk, said the brokers failed to respond when she sent emails requesting help finding Section 8 housing, or they failed to provide adequate help. I think the brokers named in the suit are some big names, right, that we cover? Yeah, so I'll go over a few of them. Noble Black, Holly Parker, Tamir Shamesh, Francis Katzen, Lauren Muss, and Talon Oren Alexander. And those names have all appeared in the Real Deals rankings of top residential brokers over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many of these suits that have come out, and I think they sort of stem from that Newsweek investigation back in 2019. So... 
will be following this for sure. So let's jump to an excerpt from The Real Deal's L.A. Forum last Thursday. I will set the scene a little bit. We've got Rainey Williams, Jason Oppenheim, and Jade Mills on stage. And our editor-in-chief, Stuart Elliott, is moderating. Stuart, ask the first question. So, you know, the question is, are we at a bottom here? Um, Jason, you were telling me you think the bottom might have been six months ago. Uh, what do you think is going, going to be ahead? My ideas change almost every day. Like <laughs> it's all right. After the, changes the every Fed day. meeting yesterday, I would probably extend the doom and gloom a few more months. I think we're probably not going to see the corner turn till the middle of, of 2024. I do think that in terms of prices, when I spoke about six months ago, that was in terms of prices. I actually think the bottom in terms of prices was about six months ago. Mm -hmm. But the bottom in terms of volume is probably, you know, we're probably in it right now. I think 2024 will turn around a little bit in terms of interest rates creeping down, volume. Listen, we make our money on volume, not really on prices. I, I started this business in 2009 and 2010, which was a terrible time to, to you know, be in real estate. But I don't remember the volume being this bad. So um, this, to me, is probably the most difficult year we've faced. Uh, and I think the volume, I read the article differently, if it's the mm -hmm. Real Deal article you're talking about. It said that we've seen the lowest number of sales since 1990 even lower than, than 2008. Right, so right. I think we may be in you know, one of our darkest years, but real estate goes up and down, guys. So I'm yeah. sure we'll, we'll manage. We'll be but all right. You would take a 20% price discount and volume over you know, no volume and prices holding steady. Well, I own a lot of personal real estate. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't want to see prices go down. <laughs> but in terms of just agents and how they make their money, I think that we're more a volume-driven profession than we are a price-driven yeah. profession. It seems like the key thing is just that buyers and sellers, I mean, besides not m much being on the market, but even when there is stuff on the market, you know, buyers and sellers are just not a meeting of the mind. And Jade, you were talking about this. Buyers think it's a buyer's market. Sellers think it's a seller's market. So what do you do? How do you, you know, you just did a deal. I think it was at 34 million. It ended up selling, oh, it was priced at 48, ended up selling at 34. How did you get a meeting of the minds there? I mean, it's a pretty big drop and pretty, a lot of negotiation to happen. Well, I think we all have to feel that the market is amazing. And we have to let our clients know that that's how we feel and we have to be really positive. And I know you are too. So I think that the, when we get an offer, you can't just say, okay, we have an offer, let's negotiate this in three days and it'll be over. It took us three months to negotiate that particular deal. And it took a lot of work and a lot of patience. And I think the buyer wanted the house. The sellers, of course, wanted to sell. And it was just communication between us and the buyer and the seller and making everyone feel good and making it feel fair for both buyer and seller. And that's so important in our business. And don't answer for your buyer or your seller. Don't say, oh, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not even going to ask. Right. Because we're here to make the deal, and that's communication, and that's spending time, no matter how much time it takes, and make the deal. Obviously, that's focused on LA, but I think it gives good context to where the luxury market is right now. And obviously, you know, it's a difficult market for any broker, let alone a broker running his or her own brokerage. Even in a tough market, though, Mauricio Omansky is a hound for opportunity, and as we discussed in our chat, the agency continues to expand.
So you've executed a pretty impressive expansion over the past 12 years, and last year you broke into the New York City market. So wondering why you decided 2022 was the right time to step in. Well, we found the right company. Uh, we've been looking you know, for, for many, many years to get into the New York market. It's not easy to get into New York. Um, it's a very tight market. It's very difficult. It requires a lot of money and big investment. We found the right uh, company to uh, that we meshed, our cultures meshed. Quick explanatory comma here. The right company for the agency ended up being Triplemint, a New York brokerage that launched about a decade ago, but really took off after founding agent Tyler Whitman was cast on Million Dollar Listing. Uh, there were some good, you know, vibes there. We were already operating on on, on the same, you know, back end system, so it was going to be a relatively uh, easy integration in theory. It's not never nothing's ever <laughs> as easy as as uh, you you, you <laughs> practice, but uh, that was the idea of that. And, um, you know, it gave us that foothold, you know, as we're expanding into Europe and across the United States, particularly on the East Coast, it was very important for us to have an East Coast uh, headquarters um, so that we can service our, our, our global partners, um, you know, more timely. Uh, you know, when we're getting into work in the, in the, in the West Coast and 9, 9 a.m., you know, half the day is gone for all of our East Coast partners and the entire mm-hmm. day is gone for anybody that we're working with in Europe. Um, so it was really, really important for us to get to the East. Right. Got it. I had read that with Triplement, the technology they had was attractive. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's very attractive about their technology is really just the, 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 the way to handle the lead generation. And the lead generation is a value play for real estate agents, as, as you know. Lead generation, for folks not in the know, is essentially how brokers find potential clients. So back in the day, it was by word of mouth or a marketing campaign, you know, a broker's ad on a bus bench, or the less preferred pulling names from a phone book. In essence, Glengarry Glen Ross is a movie about the importance of leads. Hey, look, just give me some leads. Don't come out of a phone book, huh? You give me something hotter than that and I can close it. It's just a streak. I'm going to turn it around. Hey, I need your help. I can't do it, Shelley. But now there's tech that can source leads online, sort them, track them, and hand them over to agents. And Triple Mint was a pioneer in that area. You know, at the end of the day, real estate agents want leads. Uh, they want money. That's what they want, right? Um, other, uh, you know, so so if we can supply uh, great leads and, and you know to our agents, then uh, you know we're giving them you know probably one of the primary things in value. Right. Obviously, there's value propositions in, in a variety of different services, uh, great marketing campaigns, um, you know, beautiful you know, ways to put your marketing together quickly and efficiently, all of these things. But at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, lead generation is, is super important. So we reported that you had a very small number of layoffs, as did many brokerages over the winter. So I'm curious, you know, where do you think the market is now? Yeah, I think we're in for a long run of, of, of difficulties. I think that the um, you know the uh, the Q3. I think you're going to see uh, uh, the public companies report more losses. You know, spring uh, was a little bit better. I think for everybody, and we kind of started to see a little bit of you know what everybody was poising to be stabilization. And I think, look, obviously, when you talk, when all the CEOs are getting up there and they're talking, you know, they want to paint this rosy picture as possible. But the reality is, the Q3 is going to be a bit more difficult. Um, and I think you'll see that in the results. Uh, there's still not a lot of inventory out in the business, in the market. Interest rates are still high. 
And, um, you know, I think we're in for, you know, a good another, you know, 12 months of, uh, of, uh, of, of recessionary, you know, slowdown type of markets. Um, I don't think we're out of, I don't think we're out of this thing by any means whatsoever. That's fair. Um, speaking of inventory being down, the Hamptons is really like suffering from that. You all launched there in the summer, which was ambitious considering how the market's doing. So can you talk about the opportunity you see out East? Well, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to grow and, and, and to take market share. I think when things are difficult, that's actually when uh, there's an opportunity to, to, to expand and to take market share. And that's when clients really need, you know, an amazing reach, you know, an amazing global reach. Like how, how are we going to go fishing? There's less fish in the ocean. Who's going to catch the fish? Who has the better mousetrap? Right. Who has the better bait? You know, this is the opportunity to to gain market share. Um, and I was just with somebody yesterday. I can tell you, you know, they said to me, uh, you know, we're, we're getting a new listing yesterday. Um, and they gave the listing to a friend, you know, and to a friend that was, you know, relatively a new uh, startup person. And they said, you know, they said, you know, I thought the house was going to sell itself, right? So when when clients think the house is going to sell itself, they're willing to give their listing and the opportunity to a friend, a cousin, uh, whatever. When the market is difficult and you need to have the best bait out in the ocean to catch the fish, that's when the, the great services, the great people, the great companies and brokerages have an opportunity to separate themselves from everybody else and actually make a statement and do amazing things. When everything's easy and rosy, we're all the same. It, the house sells itself. When things are difficult, that's where we can start proving what our value proposition is. So I'd read in a Forbes interview you did recently that when you founded the agency, your goal was to modernize the real estate experience. We're seeing AI sort of do that now. How do you think about incorporating that? I, I love AI. I think it's a fantastic way to become more efficient, uh, to do things better. You know, our... our marketing you know department if they use ai for draft one you you still need the human touch this is not a situation where we're starting to replace humans you know but i'm hoping that uh you know our our staff if they can do 10 things a week for argument's sake that with ai they're going to be able to do 20 things a week right um and so we can use our ai to just be more efficient and to compress time and get to the finish line you know well there's never a finish line but complete <laughs> the projects just a little bit faster um, then, you know, then we're using AI for, for the right reasons. Do you have AI baked into, like, do you have pri proprietary tech that you use AI through or are you, you know, are your agents using ChatGPT? Oh, I, well, the agents are primarily using ChatGPT, I think. And, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching a lot how to use AI. We do not have our own proprietary AI at this moment. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, I don't want to share what our tech strategy is. Um, we are changing it. We are in the middle of a very interesting tech strategy, but I really do not want to share it. You know, I do not have uh, um, as many uh, engineers as some of our competitors. And so I don't want to share what my strategy is and, you know, give them a chance to jump on it. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep it to myself. That's fair. Keep it close <laughs> to the best. Um, yes. You mentioned your book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was just a, that's more of a you know a passion project. I wanted to give back. Um, I've learned a lot. I've had a lot of extraordinary experiences um, and a lot of great stories to tell during the course of my 26 years of uh, in the real estate career. But you know, also just in my 53 years of living, and um, 
you know, I really wanted to hope to, uh, if I could just touch a few people and motivate a few people, you know, and teach them how to live a better life, um, how to have more fun, how to be more successful, how to not be scared of doing things that are uncomfortable, um, then, you know, it's mission, you know, accomplished. And so I was very happy to have launched the book. Um, and I think we, you know, we accomplished, you know, the mission from my perspective. The Deal Maker, by the way, it's called The Deal Maker. If any of you guys have listening have not read it, uh, you should go buy it. <laughs> that must have been a totally new experience for you. What were the challenges? Totally new experiences. The challenges, in you know, are, are and I talk about it in my book. It's time, right? I think that's one of the primary challenges. Is uh, there's only you know there's only 24 hours in a day, and I definitely live you know my 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 life that we've got to have balance in in our life. So you know you're you're taking away time in order to do the book. Well, it's taking it away from something, right? It's taking it away from work, personal, friends, family, golf skiing it's it's got to come from somewhere right it's not just time you know i didn't add uh three hours a day to the to the day just so that i can write my book right <laughs> and then last question buying beverly hills debuted last fall you wrapped filming on season two this summer so like clearly you're not new to the world of reality tv but how was that experience of focusing on the agency specifically uh, it's been an incredible experience and it's been so much fun to be able to show the audience and the people watching, you know, what it takes to be a real estate agent, to run the company uh, this year. You know, keep in mind that, you know, season one, we, we did film it during COVID. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, so this season was filmed, you know, post COVID. We're going to share, you know, there's a lot. That's going to be a great, great season. I obviously can't, uh, you know, talk too much about it uh, at this moment. We've yeah. not released don't, anything yet, but it's going to be an absolutely mad. great uh, no, I cannot make Netflix map, but it's going to be a great season. It's got some great drama, some beautiful real estate porn, and I, I cannot wait uh, to get season two out there. What was the difference filming outside of COVID? I mean, I imagine you're a lot freer, but what was the vibe like? How did it change? I, I just, as you said, it's freedom, um, the freedom to go to more places, to show off really, you know, the way we do open houses, you know, the way you, you know, kind of, you know, that bigger moments, you know, uh, a little bit more travel. Um, you know, we were kind of locked down during that time. So the travel has definitely been important and, um, yeah, a lot of fun. Deconstruct is every Monday on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts, or you can listen at therealdeal.com. For comments on this episode or on the series, feel free to reach me or Susanna at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're talking to the managing partners of Arc House, an opportunistic investment firm focused on taking public REITs private. Tune in then.